Thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to move around a little bit today uh, in the New Testament, about three or four different passages that we're going to look at. But we'll get to 1 Corinthians 3 here uh, in just a little bit. That'll be the first place that we'll start. Well, last Sunday we started a new series. It's just four weeks long. Of course, next Sunday will be Father's Day, so we'll take a little break midway. But four weeks we're going to use to look at what is our mission statement, our vision statement, what drives us as a church. And we've summarized it in four words, know, grow, show, and go. And uh, so the title of this series that we started last Sunday uh, is 24-7. And the reason we've titled that is because there is a, a real misconception, as we looked at last week, in regards to church. Uh, the church is seen by many people, even believers, as an institution. And there's this mistaken uh, mentality that, you know, the church will do it. Well, the church will take care of that. The church will pray for that. The church will give to that need. The church will reach out to that person. And the church is not an institution as though it just somehow mysteriously accomplishes what needs to be done. The church is a movement. It is a movement uh, of a collection of people who are different. <laughs> and the reason we're different is because we have chosen to turn from our sin and to give our lives to Christ. And so that whole mentality of a church as an institution, I want you to just kick that as far out of your mind as you can and realize that church is a movement. And you as a believer, uh, especially if you're invested in this ministry here at First Baptist of the Islands, then you are a part of that movement. So we looked at, at uh, all four of these words. We kind of kicked it off last Sunday, looking at what it means to know Christ. But the neat thing about these four words is that they are progressive. That once a person comes to know Christ, the next step is that they begin to grow. And as they grow in Christ, the next step is for them to begin to show Christ as they serve and as they reach out, not just in the church, but outside the church, even more importantly. And then the last step is that we go with the gospel. And each of these are progressive in nature. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, listen, it's a, just a matter, it can be a matter of, of, of hours as you move through this, through this progression. You can be growing uh, that very day, showing Christ, serving others, and going with the gospel the same day you come to know Jesus Christ. And so it's progressive in nature, but at the same time, it's measurable. Here, here's the cool thing, is that when we began to put, put together uh, this particular mission statement, we wanted to keep it very simple. We wanted to keep it uh, measurable. And here's the cool thing, is that at the end of today, if you already have a relationship with Christ, if you already know Christ, when you close your eyes tonight and you lay your head on your pillow and you go to sleep, you can look back and say, have I done something today to grow in Christ? Have I done something today to show Christ? Have I done something today to go with the gospel? And if we have a collection of people at this church who, as we move forward through time, where we progressively are showing Christ, we're growing in our relationship with God, we're going with the gospel, then I can say we'll have an effective ministry, we'll have a healthy ministry, and you, as a believer, will accomplish the purpose that God has for your life. You will be an effective believer as you apply these things daily to your life. So today we're going to look at what it means to grow in Christ, specifically what it means to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Last week, we looked at a few things about knowing Christ, inviting others to church, meeting new people, uh, moving, <laughs> getting out where lost people are. Some of you moving today, that was a good thing, and, uh, and even praying for lost people. But today, what does it mean to grow in our relationship with Christ? I want to ask you a question. When you as a believer thinking about growing in your relationship with God, 
And when you think about the day when you gave your life to Christ and that day when you prayed and you turned from your sin and you genuinely didn't just pray a little prayer, but there was something in your life that happened. You turned from your sin and you decided you were going to be marked by Christ. You were going to walk as an imperfect person with struggles and difficulties alike. You were going to walk in a yielded, surrendered life to Christ. When you made that decision uh, to follow Christ authentically with your life, Are you still that same person today as you were back then? Or has there been growth that has come in your life, increasingly growing you into the image of Jesus Christ? Because God doesn't want us to place our faith in Christ and then to just stay in the same spot. If I were to stand before you and say, I gave my life to Christ years and years and years ago, but today, you know, I'm virtually unchanged. I'm really much the same today as I was way back then. That is not what God desires In fact, if I'm much the same 30 years later, virtually 35 years later after I gave my life to Christ, if I'm much the same as I was then, I would have serious questions about my salvation because it is the nature of God to grow us. Things that are alive grow, and growth is good. Growth is good in physical life, isn't it? I mean, you were a baby, right? I think most everybody here was a baby. I'm pretty sure about that, pretty certain. Not the sharpest knife in the box, but I think I got that one right. All right, so, so you're a baby. Now you've grown. You're evidence outwardly looking at you. You're evidence. I mean, you drive cars. You have jobs. You handle money. You do all those things. You're taller than you were way back then. You have grown physically. Physical growth is a good thing. Growth is good in the business world. I mean, if you're a small business owner, you want to see growth in your, in your, in your uh, business. You want to see growth in regards to your personnel. You want to see growth in regards to facilities. You want to see growth, uh, growth in regards to... Uh, to your profitability. You want to see growth happen. Growth is good in the business world. Growth is good in the sports world, right? You shoot 110 on the golf course. I mean, you want to grow in your skills. You hopefully will begin to break 100. You'll break 90. You'll break 80. Next thing you know, we'll be watching you on TV. You want to grow in your skills. Growth is good. And we all understand that growth is good. But here is the problem, is that somewhere along the line, we see growth as good in every other arena of life. But when it comes to our relationship with God, more Christians than not are content to just stay where they were the day they gave their lives to Christ. And to have virtually no growth whatsoever is acceptable. It's almost the norm. It's almost as though you know, all those are the fanatics that really got a dose of Christ. And those are the ones that, you know, yeah, they show Christ through the lives. They serve and they share the gospel. They do all those other things. They give and they, uh, that, that's them. Yeah, but for most of us, I mean, come on, let's be honest, Brooks. I mean, giving your life to Christ doesn't change everything. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And growth, even though it is not always the norm in Christian churches today, sadly, is the norm in Scripture. And it's the bullseye that God aims for in the life of every believer because things that are alive grow. So let me ask you this question as we dig into what it means to grow, as we unpack that whole concept. For you as a Christian, for we as a ministry, as a movement of believers in the same direction, what does it mean to grow? Let me ask you this. Who's responsible for you growing as a Christian? Who is responsible for your growth? In other words, if you're, if you're going to grow as a believer, you give your life to Christ, you begin to follow Christ, and, and you're, you're an angry person, but you don't want to be angry anymore. You want to have a heart of, of gentleness and kindness, and you're not going to be that angry Christian anymore. You're going to be the gentle, kind kind of a Christian. Who's going to make that happen? Who's responsible for that? 
You, you don't want to be tight-fisted with the things that God's given you. You give your life to Christ, but you still have this mentality that this is my stuff and this is my money and I've worked hard, and, and, and I, but I don't want to be tight-fisted anymore. I want to be generous as a believer. I want to be a giver. I want to be a person who shares with those who are in need. I want to serve those who have needs. I don't want to just be locked into my own, my own little bubble. I want to live a life that bleeds over to the lives of others. Who's responsible for getting you there? Some would say it's God's responsibility. That God is the one who changes us. And we stay, you know, the default mode is that we're going to be we who we are. I'm going to be Brooks until God reaches down, snatches hold of me, and does something. I'm not going to go on one mission trip. I'm not going to give one penny. I'm not going to open my Bible. I'm not going to do anything else until God himself reaches down and he grabs me and does those things in my life. Some say it's God's responsibility. Others would say if they're going to grow as a Christian, it's their own responsibility. It's the believer's responsibility that I've got to strap on my boots every day. And if I'm going to be gentle, I've got to make gentleness happen in my life. And if I'm going to be humble, I've got to make humility happen in my life. And if I'm going to be loving, all right, come here, kids and spouse. Come here, I'm going to love you right now if it takes everything I've got to do. I've got to do this. And some would say it's the believer's responsibility. Others would say it's the church that does those things in our lives. If we're going to grow, the church is going to do it. Let the church do it. I'll tell you this, that happens a lot in children's ministry and student ministry specifically. And it's the furthest from the truth. Hey, we'll send our kids there. The church will make them who God wants them to be. That student pastor, that, that children's pastor, that church, they're going to be the ones that are going to do it. That couldn't be further from the truth. But does that mean the church is off the hook? We'll see. So whose responsibility is it for you, Christian, to grow in your relationship with God. Is it God? Is it you? Or is it the church? Let me, let me give you a principle that applies. We'll begin to sift some of this through Scripture and answer that question. Here's the principle. I hope you'll jot it down. That spiritual growth never happens by accident. Never. You get up, it's a busy Sunday morning. Any of you, does it seem like the bottom falls out on Sunday mornings? Does, does that happen for any of you? Just raise your hand if that happens to some, okay. Yeah. Raise your hand if it happened today. Just, just okay. Yeah. The bottom just falls out. I remember, I remember uh, a pastor of mine early in ministry just, just making that comment. And since then, I've, I've been able to see how that happens. If something's going to break, if something's going to go wrong, a lot of times it's, it's going to be on Sunday mornings, it seems like. It just seems like the enemy knows what God is trying to accomplish. It seems as though he, uh, he knows what's at stake. And yet we have this, this, this mentality that, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get my stuff done Sunday morning, eat breakfast, do a little few things around the house. I'm going to breeze on into church. I'm going to breeze on out and go about the rest of my week. And we have this expectation that somehow that punching of the clock on that Sunday morning is going to accomplish in us what is needed to change us to transform us from the inside out into people that we could never be on our own. And it has to take more than that. There has to be something at work beyond just our mere efforts. And, and it's almost as though we believe that we'll mistakenly, accidentally one day wake up and realize, wow, I feel very, very holy. Can you see my halo? You begin to wonder, does my husband see my halo? Does my wife go to work? Hey, everyone, I am holy because I feel holy today. Yeah? And we have this, uh, it's just like it's just going to happen. Like, bam, woo, I'm like Christ. And it doesn't. If you're going to be like Christ and if you're going to grow, coming to know Jesus takes surrender. It doesn't take work. 
growing to become like Christ takes a lot of surrender and a lot of work. And that's where Christians miss it. They're not willing for the work. We don't work for our salvation, but if we're going to be like Christ and if we're going to partner with God to be who he wants us to be, it will take effort. And we're going to see that as we begin to roll through some of these passages here in the New Testament. Spiritual growth never happens by accident. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's begin to answer that question. Who is responsible for your growth as a Christian? First part of that answer would be that it is God's responsibility. 1 Corinthians 3 is where we begin to see that. It is God's responsibility to grow you as a Christian. Jesus said that upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus takes responsibility for bringing people into the kingdom of God. Jesus takes responsibility for growing this movement called the church. What we see here in 1 Corinthians 3 is that God uh, takes responsibility to grow believers into the image of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, we don't have time to unpack this whole book, obviously, but it is a phenomenal book, the book of 1 Corinthians. And the way it's written, the whole premise is that Paul has received a letter from the church in Corinth, and they've asked all kinds of questions. And if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you can literally, as you read it, sense him shifting gears from one topic to the next. And he's answering questions that he has received in a letter And he's just going through in his own letter back called 1 Corinthians. He is answering their questions. Well, in 1 Corinthians 3, he's dealing with a problem in this church in Corinth. And the church at Corinth had all kinds of problems. They had all kinds of issues. But there was a problem there because some were lining up under Paul as their leader. Others were lining up uh, behind this this, uh, uh, skilled speaker named Apollos. You may remember him from the series in the book of Acts. And they were beginning to almost putting themselves in little camps and little groups. Well, I'm a follower of Paul. Who are you a follower of? Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. And there, was the, the, there were these factions that were beginning to, to, uh, to take place in the church at Corinth. So Paul had to address that. The 1 Corinthians 3, if you look down in verse 6, notice one of the things that he says because it applies to what we're looking at this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. And so when you read that particular passage, Paul is not talking about how to plant a garden. He's talking about Christians growing in their relationship with God. And it's very, very evident there. I mean, the wording could not be any more clear that what Paul is saying there is that God is the one who takes responsibility to grow you as a Christian so that if you used to be a person that nobody wanted to be with and now you're the person everybody wants to be with because you're not that angry, selfish, mean-spirited person you used to be, you know Christ, he's grown you into a, a loving, humble, giving, generous, joyful person. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back because God changed your life, and that's the nature of God to do that. Things that are given birth, things that are giving, given life begin to grow, and God brought that growth in you. Paul makes it very clear there that it is God who grows us as believers. Well, let me just throw a little bit of a wrench into this whole thing. Look over to Second Peter there towards the close of your New Testament. The book of Second Peter. If you have a hard time finding it, it's right after 1 Peter. <laughs> it taught me that in seminary. <clears throat> towards, the close of your, towards the close of your New Testament, just a few books before the very end, 2 Peter. Well, as we begin to read in, in 2 Peter, what's interesting here is something that, that, that Peter writes, that it doesn't seem contradictory to what Paul says, because Scripture doesn't 
contradict itself. It's truth all the way through. But it does confuse things a little bit. And so what is it that, that Peter says as to who's responsible for their growth? He makes it sound as though it's the believer responsible for their own growth. Look at what he says, the very last verse in the whole book of Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. Who's responsible for the Christian's growth? Verse 18, he says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Did you hear that first part? But grow. This is a command that Scripture is giving to the believer. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The picture there is that it is a command that is given. He could say your name. Whatever your first name is, if you're a Christian, he could say to you, he would call your name and say, grow in your relationship with God. It's a command that's given. And so this this really stirs the pot a little bit because, all right, what are you telling me, Brooks? Well, ago, it's God responsible for our growth. Now you're telling me that it's it's me, myself, as a believer, who's responsible for for my growth. So who is it? The answer is yes. It's both working together. Whenever I was uh, out of high school, I started running towards the end of, of high school. And when I finished, I, I had a coach here locally, and before I transferred uh, in college, I ran with a track club here locally. It's a small track club, but numerous ones out of that club went on to run um, on the collegiate level, and we would travel to meets, and I would, would run with this, with this club. Well, as I was was training, preparing for a certain event. Uh, I was getting getting somewhat close, not real close, but somewhat close to the qualifying for a national meet. And so uh, my coach and I talked, and he said, here's what I really want you to aim for. Here's the qualifying for this race. It was a 500-meter indoor. And he said, here's what I want you to, here's what you need to run to qualify for this. I was like uh, almost two whole seconds off, which is like light years in regards to competitive uh, running. And uh, he said, but this is what we're going to aim for. And this was my mentality. I decided there, and I was early in my faith as a Christian. I had been saved early on, but I was really just beginning to grow. And my mentality was this, is that if it's God's will for me to qualify for this national meet, then I'm going to do everything I can to prepare, to train, to discipline myself, so that if he says, Brooks, this is my will, I'll be ready. Does that make sense? So that if God says, Brooks, this is my will for you to qualify for this meet, I didn't want to be knocking down 18 packs of you who, you know, uh, uh, what do you call those things, the, the little Debbie rolls and, you know, knocking about you who's and say, okay, God, I'm not quite ready. Now, I wanted to be ready. I wanted to position myself, all right? <laughs> yeah, welcome to church. I wanted to position myself so that if God says, this is my will, I was in position to follow what he wanted for me. Now, it wasn't his will, or else I wasn't ready because it didn't happen. (laughs) One of the two, I spent a lot of time trying to figure that one out. But the concept has stuck with me, and I think it sticks here at this particular issue that we're looking at. What does it mean to grow? Whose responsibility is it? It is God's responsibility, but it is also ours. How do we reconcile that? It means that we position ourselves to grow as Christians, and yet it is God who brings the growth. We position ourselves for God to do work that only He can do. And so how do we position ourselves? There are two ways. Number one, we put ourselves in His Word consistently. 
If we're going to be molded into the image of Christ, we have to be people of his word. We cannot afford to live life outside of the boundaries that he has already set specifically in his word. His word is going to be the primary tool that he uses to shape us into the people he wants us to be. Donald Whitney, Christian author, wrote a book called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, made a comment that when you look at all of the disciplines of the Christian life, prayer, fasting, uh, serving, giving, uh, evangelism, sharing your faith, all those different things. He said the most important uh, uh, tool to disciplining us into the image of Christ is time spent in God's Word. Above and beyond everything else, it's time spent in God's Word. In fact, look over to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is just before the book of 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to notice what he says here. I love word pictures. I love illustrations. I understand things better whenever there's a story that accompanies it. And Peter, thankfully here in this context, is speaking in, in the context of a, of a word picture. He paints a picture for us to understand what God is saying. First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 2. He says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The word picture there is a, is a newborn baby. He says, just like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk. That is a reference to the truth of God's word. And here's the result of that. When we long for it, spend time in it, he says that the result of it is that we grow in respect to our salvation. Now, our kids now are one, four, and seven. And our four-year-old and our seven-year-old, is abs- they will eat our house if we let them do that. They're always hungry always. I know your kids didn't do that. You didn't do that when you were a kid. But man, our kids, they will eat everything. And Drew, the boy is going to be nine feet tall if he keeps eating at this particular rate. The, the kitchen, the, uh, the pantry door, the refrigerator door, all, it's always open. I mean, our light bill is higher because the refrigerator light, all because of him. He eats and he eats and he eats and he is always hungry. And I do not understand it. I've quit trying to understand it. But what a picture that is because what God says is, he says, I want you to take that tenacity and that intensity. And when you haven't eaten for a day, when you've missed lunch and you've missed dinner and you're starving to death and the smallest, more, even a crystal looks good to you, whenever you're that hungry, that's hungry. Whenever you are that hungry and the smallest bit of food looks good to you, with that tenacity and that drive, he says, that's what I want you to have for my word. I want you to long for it like an infant for milk. I want you to long for my word. Why? Because God knows that it's his word that changes us, that transforms us, that confronts us. And when our attitude is in the tank, it's his word that shows us what the bullseye is that we should aim for. And whenever we've wandered and we sin, it's God's word that convicts us, speaks to our heart. We have to decide if we're going to apply it and respond. But it's his word that brings conviction. It's God's word that unlocks for us the beauty of who God is, that he loves us with a love that will never let us go. What Max Lucado says is exactly true. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He loves you that greatly. And it's his word that shows you that. That when you've blown it in your life, he's never going to give up on you. He promises as a believer, he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. You'll not know that unless you open up the pages of his word. Peter says, just like a baby for its, for its mother's milk, long for the word. Have that kind of a tenacity, that kind of a hunger, that kind of a passion to spend time there in God's word that he's written for you. The same author that I mentioned earlier in his book quotes a Welsh pastor named Jeffrey Thomas. Listen, listen what he writes. 
He says, do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Do not expect always to get an emotional charge or feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you'll get no emotional response at all. But let the word break over your heart and your mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude, in your outlook, and in your, con- uh, in your conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. And often you'll feel very, very small. Because increasingly, the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. Now what a great, great admonition for us. To be people of God's book. And I'll say that if you as a Christian expect to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to be one of these who doesn't just know God, but you take it deeper and you begin to grow in understanding who He is and how He works, how He operates in your life, what He speaks into your life, if you want to be that person, it's not going to happen apart from His Word. It's just not. You can count on it. You'll be the same person you've always been. So how do we position ourselves then? As believers, for God to do great work in our lives, to grow us, we position ourselves by being people in his word. But then number two, we can also position ourselves by being not just in his word, but in community with other believers. In community with other believers. This is where the church comes in. Not as an institution, but as a movement of people. Because if you're going to grow in your faith, It's going to be God who grows you. It's going to be you who positions yourself for that growth. And more often than not, he's going to use other believers in your life to make you who he wants you to be. It says, iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Look over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. I thought about preaching a series through the book of Acts. We might do that one day. Acts, chapter 2. You know, we were in Acts for two years, and um, I thought about starting with chapter 28 and moving backwards through, ending in chapter 1. That'd be creative. You know, Acts chapter 2, early on in this book, as you realize, close to the resurrection of Christ, Jesus had resurrected, he died, was buried, rose again, had ascended back to heaven. Acts chapter 2 is early on. I mean, we're really close in chapter 2 to the resurrection of Christ. Infancy in regards to the church. Notice what their practice was. We'll pick up a little bit in midstream, but look down chapter 2, verse 46. It says, day by day, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Let me read that again. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, but it didn't stay just in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The result, verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. These Christians, this young embodiment, the body of Christ, 
who had come to Jesus the same way that many of you did, they had turned from their sin, placed their faith in Christ, were living in a culture that was not a Christian culture. And as that culture would look at them, they would see something differently about them. And it was recognizable to the point to where many were hearing the gospel, coming to Christ. And I can't, I can't help but assume that a large part of that was because of the difference they saw in those early believers. They were one, and they, they, they walked through life together. They were in community, not a commune. <laughs> They had their own houses, they house to house, they had the distinctive family units, they were still individuals, they did not live together in one you know, compound somewhere where they shared everything in that manner, but they were one body, they were one in faith, they were one as they moved, as a movement towards the same Savior being molded and shaped by the same God into the image of Christ. They were being molded and shaped, and the way that was happening was as they did life together in community. I heard a quote years ago, and I, and I believe it, it's only intensified ever since, that life change happens most consistently in the context of community. That if God is going to change your life as a believer, if he's going to grow you and mold you and shape you, that's going to happen more often than not within the context of community. And I know a lot of people, I've met a lot of people in my days who have said, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to be there, I don't need to be in groups with other Christians, God is working in my life outside of that. I've met a lot of people that have said it, but I've never met one that it held true. Because it is a biblical principle that the Christian life is to be lived out in community with one another. Read the scriptures, read the New Testament, do a quick little word study on one another and see how many times in the Bible that it tells us to love one another, encourage one another daily, give to one another as each has needs, pray consistently for one another. One another's blot the landscape of the whole entire New Testament and it shows to us that we need one another. We can't live the Christian life and expect to grow unless we are walking with one another through that walk because life change happens most often in the context of community and spiritual growth never, never, never happens by accident. The book of Acts shows us that pattern early on from the very beginning. It's like if you've got a roaring fire in your house, right? And it's December and it's cold. Well, December's hot in Savannah. It's February. (laughs) And it's February and it is freezing cold and you've got a nice fire going in your fireplace. As long as you feed that fire and you keep wood on that fire, that fire is going to roar and it's going to just intensify. One log feeds off the other. That fire is going to burn for days if you keep it fed. But you take one of those logs out of that fire and you put it on the fireplace hearth and you set it there aside from the other logs by itself, it's a matter of minutes before it goes off. And instantly, the moment that you feed that fire with a log, it grows hotter. And instantly, the moment you take that one log off, set it by itself, it begins to lose that flame and lose that intensity. It's not slow. It's instantaneous. You take it off, and it begins to decrease in temperature, decrease in intensity. But you throw it on with the other logs, and instantly it will begin to increase, and it will begin to build, and it will add to the flame. And it's the same with Christians. You take a Christian, you choose to remove yourself from community within the body of Christ, and I'll tell you what that means in a moment, and it's not worship attendance. You take yourself out of the the confines of community and what it means to do life with other Christians consistently. You take yourself out of that, and your flame for Christ will begin to grow dim. It happens every time, I'm telling you. Doesn't matter what you hear, you're going to grow cold. Because the Christian life is designed to be lived in community. Spiritual growth doesn't come by accident. It takes work. And so how do you, how do you position yourself? 
If God's responsible to grow you, but you're also responsible for your growth, how do you position yourself by being in his word and by being with other Christians in community? And that's where the church comes in because the church does play a part in your growth as a movement. Here at our church, we do two things primarily to help lead Christians to grow in their relationship with God. One is Sunday school, Sunday mornings, and the other is Dive, which runs on a quarterly basis uh, on Sunday evenings. The next one's starting up in the fall. Those are the two things we do. When you look at uh, children's ministry, the primary arm for the growth of children who know God, have a relationship with God, Sunday school. Look at student ministry, the primary thing that is done to help them to grow in their relationship with God. Really two things. One is Sunday school. The other is island groups. They're weekday Bible studies, weeknight Bible studies. It's one of the four things that drives our church is leading Christians to grow in their relationship with God. 2011, we looked at our worship numbers, our attendance, the average for the whole entire year, 2011. We looked at our Sunday school numbers, average attendance for all of 2011. For the year 2011, 31% of those who attended worship also attended a small group Sunday school class. That meant on any given Sunday, seven out of every 10 people who attended big church walked out the doors and did not take the time to be invested in a small group, life on life with other believers. I guarantee you, you're probably not getting it at work. I mean, unless you work in a church like I do. <laughs> I mean, you're probably, you know, certain circles of friends, you need to be around people who don't know Christ, but there's some of those circles, you're not getting any growth. I mean, you're, 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 the, you're the missionary in some of those circles. You're the one taking the gospel, you know, and rightly so, but you're not getting fed. You're not being challenged in your walk. And seven out of ten, any Sunday, out the door, Show up just for church, out the door. I, you know, I, I've been looking at you for 10 years. And I see some conversations going on while I'm talking. But they're probably not about the message. <laughs> and I don't see a whole lot of iron sharpening iron on a Sunday morning. Why? Because it's not designed to do that. I stand up and I talk for 35 minutes and I sit down. There's not really any, que- any, any place for you to say, you know, Brooks, going back to that passage real quick. And, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 3 me back here 18th row um i got a question real quick there's no chance for that you listen and you leave that's not life on life that's worship attendance and certainly i hope i'm not wasting my time i really hope that god uses what i say to help you to grow but listen i i I understand that i'm not offended by this in the least that your greatest opportunity to grow as a believer is when you get down in the trenches with other believers and you're able to come alongside of them and you're able to say listen i face a problem that i can't handle and I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And I need people praying for me. Will y'all pray for me? You can't do that here in this setting. But you can do it in a small group class with 20 people, 15 people, 30 people, 40 people, 10 people. You can do it there. And you need people, you know, uh, names on the back of your phone book that you can call up in an instant. People from your small group to say, hey, listen, I don't know what the Bible says about this, but I, I, I need some guidance. I need some wisdom. Can you help me with this issue? And you need people in your circle of influence that can do that. And a small group accomplishes it. You need people that you can serve. You know folks that you can depend on. The people that I call the 2 a.m. people, the ones you know, they're on your 2 o'clock in the morning list that when the bottom falls out and you need help, they're the ones that you don't mind calling at 2 a.m. and they don't mind calling you back. You know that? You need people like that. You're going to find them in in a small group. But you don't have a clue who they are in this group because you don't have a chance to mingle and you don't have a chance to get to know people. You don't have time to to walk. How much real connection is there whenever we take that 25 seconds to say, greet those around you? You know, how many of you go home saying, man, I really made a connection today. 
Man, I just bonded with that, that, that other person. Golly, that 25 seconds was like the best in my life. <laughs> it's not going to happen, you know? It's not designed. This service is designed to lead people to know Christ. We share the gospel every Sunday, but if you want to grow, I'm telling you, you got to get in a small group. You got to do it. Life on life. And you got to be willing to invest your life in others as they invest their lives in you. So what are four things? Let me just give you real quick. My time's almost done. It always is. What are, what are some things you can do? Let's bring up the web picture real quick. The web picture there. You wonder, what's the significance of that picture? Well, the first picture, no. You saw it last Sunday here on the poster. It's a picture of new life. No represents us leading people to know Christ. It's, it's that new life that comes when a person meets Jesus. Second Corinthians talks about how the old is gone and behold, all things are made new. Well, the second picture, grow, the big one that you see here in front of you, it just simply shows and reminds us that things that are alive grow. It is their nature. They grow larger.